Chapter Fifty Eight of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Chapter Fifty Eight, in which one of Little Bo Peep's sheep comes home again, and various theories are entertained respecting Charles Nutter and Lieutenant Puddock and just on monday morning in the midst of this hurly-burly of conjecture who should arrive of all the people in the world and re-establish himself in his old quarters but dick devereux the gallant captain was more splendid and handsome than ever but both his spirits and his habits had suffered he had quarrelled with his aunt and she was his bread and butter ay buttered on both sides how lightly these young fellows quarrel with the foolish old worshippers who lay their gold frankincense and myrrh at the feet of the handsome thankless idols they think it all independence and high spirit whereas we know it is nothing but a little egotistical tyranny that unconsciously calculates even in the heyday of its indulgence upon the punctual return of the penitent old worshipper with his or her votive offerings perhaps the gypsy had thought better of it and was already sorry he had not kept the peace at all events though his toilet and wardrobe were splendid for fine fellows in this plight deny themselves nothing yet morally he was seedy and in temper soured his duns had found him out and pursued him in wrath and alarm to england and pestered him very seriously indeed he owed money beside to several of his brother officers and it was not pleasant to face them without a guinea an evil propensity at which as you remember general chatsworth hinted had grown amid his distresses and the sting of self-reproach exasperated him then there was his old love for lilius walsingham and the pang of rejection and the hope of a strong passion sometimes leaping high and bright and sometimes nickering into ghastly shadows and darkness indeed he was by no means so companionable just now as in happier times and was sometimes confoundedly morose and snappish for as you perceive things had not gone well with him latterly still he was now and then tolerably like his old self tool passing by saw him in the window devereux smiled and nodded and the doctor stopped short at the railings and grinned up in return and threw out his arms to express surprise and then snapped his fingers and cut a little caper as though he would say now you're come back we'll have fun and fiddling again and forthwith he began to bawl his inquiries and salutations but devereux called him up peremptorily for he wanted to hear the news especially all about the walsinghams and up came tool and they had a great shaking of hands and the doctor opened his budget and rattled away of sterk's tragedy and nutter's disappearance he had already heard and he now heard some of the club gossip and all about dangerfield's proposal to gertrude chatsworth and how the old people were favourable and the young lady averse 
and how dangerfield was content to leave the question in abeyance and did not seem to care a jackstraw what the townspeople said or thought and then he came to the walsinghams and Devereux for the first time really listened the doctor was very well just as usual and wondering what had become of his old crony dan loftus from whom he had not heard for several months and miss lily was not very well a delicacy here and he tapped his capacious chest like her old mother hell and i consulted about her and agreed she was to keep within doors and then he went on for he had a suspicion of the real state of relations between him and lily and narrated the occurrence rather with a view to collect evidence from his books and manner than from any simpler motive and said he only think that confounded wench nan you know nan glenn and he related her and her mother's visit to miss lily and a subsequent call made upon the rector himself all it must be confessed very much as it really happened and Devereux first grew so pale as almost a frightened tool, and then broke into a savage fury, and did not spare hard words, oaths, or maledictions. Then off went tool, when things grew quieter, upon some other theme, giggling and pooning, spouting scandal, and all sorts of news, and Devereux was looking full at him with large stern eyes, not hearing a word more his soul was cursing old mrs glynn of palmerstown that mother of lies and what not and remonstrating with old dr walsingham and protesting wildly against everything general chatsworth who returned two or three weeks after was not half pleased to see Devereux. he had heard a good deal about him and his doings over the water and did not like them he had always had a misgiving that if Devereux remained in the corps sooner or later he would be obliged to come to a hard reckoning with him and the handsome captain had not been three weeks in chapel is it when more than the general suspected that he was in no wise improved so general chatsworth did not often see or talk with him and when he did was rather reserved and lofty with him his appointment on the staff was in advance in fact the vacancy on which it was expectant had not definitely occurred and all things were at sixes and sevens with poor dick Devereux. that evening strange to say stirk was still living and toole reported him exactly in the same condition but what did that signify twas all one the man was dead as dead to all intents and purposes that moment as he would be that day twelve months or that day hundred years dr walsingham who had just been to see poor mrs stirk now grown into the habit of hoping and sustained by the intense quiet fuss of the sick-room stopped for a moment at the door of the phoenix to answer the cronies there assembled who had seen him emerge from the murdered man's house he is in a profound lethargy said the worthy divine tis a subsistence his life sir stealing away like the fluid from the clepsydra less and less left every hour a little time will measure all out what the plague's a clepsydra 
asked Clough of Tool, as they walked side by side into the clubroom. Oh, pooh, one of those fabulous tumors of the epidermis mentioned by Pliny, you know, exploded ten centuries ago. Ha, ha, ha. And he winked and laughed derisively and said, Sure you know, Dr. Walsingham. And the gentlemen began spouting their theories about the murder and nutter in a desultory way, for they all knew the warrant was out against him. My opinion, said Toole, knocking out the ashes of his pipe upon the hob, for he held his tongue while smoking, and very little at any other time, and I'll lay a guinea twill turn out as I say. The poor fellow's drowned himself. Few knew Nutter, I doubt if any one knew him as I did. Why, he did not seem to feel anything. And you'd have swore nothing affected him more than that hob, sir. And all the time there wasn't a more thin-skinned, atrabilious poor dog in all Ireland. But honest, sir, thorough steel, sir. All I say is, if he had a finger in that ugly pie, you know, as some will insist, I'll stake my head to a china orange. Twas a fair front-to-front -front fight. By Jupiter, sir, there wasn't one drop of cursed blood in poor Nutter. No poor fellow, neither sneak nor assassin there. They thought he drowned himself from his own garden, poor Nutter, said Major O'Neill. Well, that he did not, said Toole. That unlucky shoe, you know, tells a tale. But for all that, I'm clear of the opinion that drowned he is. We trapped the step, Low and I, to the bank, near the horse track, in Barrack Street, just where the water deepens. There's usually five feet of water there, and that night there was little short of ten. Now take it that Nutter and Sturk had a tussle, and the thing happened, you know, and Sturk got the worst of it, and was in fact dispatched. Why, you know the kind of panic, and, and the panic, you know, a poor dog finding himself so situated would be in, with a bitter old quarrel between them, you see. And this had the back of his vapors and blue devils, for he was dumpish enough before, and would send a man like Nutter into a resolution of making away with himself. And that's how it happened, you may safely swear. And what do you think, Mr. Dangerfield? asked the Major. Upon my life, said Dangerfield, briskly lowering his newspaper to his knee, with a sharp rustle, these are questions I don't like to meddle in. Certainly he had considerable provocation, as I happen to know, and there was no love lost, that I know too. But I quite agree with Dr. Toole. If he was the man, I venture to say, twas a fair fight. Suppose first an altercation, then a hasty blow. Sturk had his cane, and a deuced heavy one. He wasn't a fellow to go down without knowing the reason why. And if they find Nutter dead or alive, I venture to say he'll show some marks of it about him. Clough wished the whole company, except himself, at the bottom of the Red Sea, for he was taking his revenge of Puddick and had already lost a gammon and two hits. 
little puddick won by the force of the dice he was not much of a player and the sight of dangerfield that repulsive impenetrable moneyed man who had overcome him like a summer cloud when the sky of his fortunes looked clearest and sunniest always led him to belmont and the side of his lady love if clough's mind wandered in that direction his reveries were rather comfortable he had his own opinion about his progress with aunt rebecca who had come to like his conversation and talked with him a great deal about puddock and always with acerbity clough who was a sort of patron of puddock's always to do him justice defended him respectfully and aunt rebecca would listen very attentively and then shake her head and say you're a great deal too good-natured captain and he'll never thank you for your pains never i can tell you well clough knew that the higher powers favored dangerfield and that beside his absurd sentiment not to say passion which could not be but provoking puddock's complicity in the abortive hostilities of poor nutter and the gallant o'flaherty rankled in aunt becky's heart she was indeed usually appeasable and forgiving enough but in this case her dislike seemed inveterate and vindictive and she would say well let's talk no more of him tis easy finding a more agreeable subject but you can't deny captain that twas an unworthy hypocrisy his pretending to sentiments against duelling to me and then engaging as second in one of the very first opportunity that presented then clough would argue his case and plead his excuses and fumbled over it a good while not that he'd have cried a great deal if puddock had been hanged but i'm afraid chiefly because being a fellow of more gaiety and accomplishment than quickness of invention it was rather convenient than otherwise to have a topic no matter what supplied to him and one that put him in an amiable point of view and in a kind of graceful intercessorial relation to the object of his highly prudent passion and clough thought how patiently she heard him though he was conscious twas rather tedious and one time very like another but then twasn't the talk but the talker and he was glad at all risks to help poor puddock out of his disgrace like a generous soul as he was End of chapter fifty eight recording by john brandon